0: Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to the Strange On Purpose podcast. Izzy's your host today. I am super, super excited for my guest today. She is a fashion designer who thinks Milwaukee is cooler than New York City or Paris, and also thinks that the next cultural icon is going to be coming from a flyover state. So everybody listening today, I would like to introduce Elena Velez.
1: Hello, happy to be here. Thanks for I having me. Appreciate you jumping on. Yeah, this is great. Very cool. I am
0: really excited for today's episode. As I said already, um, there's a ton of topics I want to really hit, but I, I mentioned obviously that quote from from you that I, I, I had you email over. Mm-hmm. Why what what's your passion behind your hometown?
1: Yeah, and I mean where, where does that come from? Well as a creative you can only really speak from what you know. Um so first of all like it's the precedent for all of my creative identity and it's the story that makes me unique. Um and I'm very blessed to have that. You know there are a lot of people who are from these super culturally elite cities who don't necessarily have um a specific regional historic craft to be able to speak on quite like we do in Milwaukee. So I think that that's awesome. Um, I've had, you know, the pleasure and the amazing opportunity to get to travel to some of these other amazing, you know, cities like London and Paris and New York, but I've never found quite the same enthusiasm or quite the same untapped cultural narrative that is existing in, you know, Wisconsin and in Milwaukee specifically.
0: I love that. And... Anybody that l- listens to the podcast knows that I am a huge advocate of the city. And um, originally being from Chicago, a lot of people I, we were just talking. A lot of people asked me. They're like, "Hey, why why do you still live in Milwaukee? Like, if all the opportunities down here, and you you said something earlier. You you said it's a it's a blank canvas up here. It's not. It's really ripe for the taking. Completely it's something that can be. It's a city that can be steered in any direction right now absolutely what direction do you want to see milwaukee go into in the next 10 years
1: well i want to see it evolve socially politically creatively but i also want it to kind of embrace um you know the cultural narrative that we have we have things to be proud of we have crafts to be excited about and they've been right under our nose this whole time um, and I, I think, especially with the decentralization that's taking place in the fashion industry, especially with COVID um, and kind of the onlineification, it doesn't really matter where you are geographically. So you might as well be living a dope life in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and like contributing to the larger cultural narrative while still being um, pertinent and authentic to your own um, perspective. And that's another thing like right, right now, like the fashion industry is really fixated on alternative perspectives in the American art narrative. Um, and you're not necessarily gonna find as clear cut, um, you know, narratives in New York and LA where they're just so overpowered by like industrial um, influence. So I think being able to be from Wisconsin and some kind of obscure unknown um, location really gives you an opportunity to brand that as you see fit and market it back to the creative cities, which is what I'm kind of trying to do through my work.
0: I love that. Do you want to, uh, before we get too deep into it, into the entire episode, do you want to give an intro as to who you are, what you do and why you do it?
1: For sure. So I am from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, born and raised. Um, I graduated from my dream school, which is Parsons School of Design, in 2018, and my senior thesis collection really took off. So from there I showed with V-Files, which is kind of like a culture and media platform in New York City, and my senior thesis collection was shown at New York Fashion Week at the Barclay Center, um, covered by all of the major publications, which was super exciting. Um, and then a week later, I was flown out to show the same collection at London Fashion Week, which was great as a guest of the Swedish Fashion Council. Um, and so from there, I was really building a great press network and a great stylist network. And that kind of transitioned into me working with celebrity clients and doing loans. So I've done custom commissions for Ariana Grande's sweetener tour, for Halsey. Caliucci's, and I've placed garments on Solange Knowles, Grimes, Charlie XCX, Arca, all of these really cool artists. Um, And so from there, I kind of developed into doing my own ready-to-wear collections just to show people that I was really serious about focusing on my own um, design brand for the future. And so I did a collection in New York, returned to school and did a graduate diploma program at Central Saint Martins. And then from there, I have been invited to kind of participate in a venture capital accelerator program. So that has brought me back to Milwaukee. So I'm here for the time being, just kind of um, figuring all of that out. So.
0: That's awesome. There's so many, there's so many topics I want to hit on in today's episode. For sure. Before we get into the topics, I, I watched an interview yesterday and You had a quote in there saying that you have a morbid infatuation with apocalypses. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. I I mean, explain that a little
1: bit. Yeah. So, I guess as I was starting to craft my like senior thesis, I was just thinking about like apocalypses and scenarios where people have had to create and design after some sort of societal collapse. And like, what I love about these scenarios is the fact that within them, people have really had to become inventive and creative in terms of solving problems that exist on a huge scale today. Like within these scenarios, people are having to consider sustainability, um, access to resources, um, you know, all of these different um, solutions to issues that we're facing on a huge scale in the fashion industry specifically. And so I was thinking that I could look into some of these different times throughout history where this kind of landscape has occurred and really look to the past as precedent for um, the way that we go about problem solving. And so I was super excited about looking into the World War II controlled commodity industry, which informed my thesis project. Um, And I was just so inspired by the way that they were like, you know, articulating domestic labor, prioritizing, um, you know just thinking about sustainability in a brand new really creative way and i wanted to find different tools that i could extract and reapply in a contemporary context just to see if they still held weight um, how they could be reapplied with contemporary um, technology etc so that is kind of you know the first step that was taken in crafting the concept of my thesis collection um, but I also just love, like, doomsday preppers and, you know, like, it's just, there's so, there are so many rich references creatively, but also such a fundamentally important and significant discovery that's taking place through this, um, these, like, predictive measures. So I think that that's really fun. Um, and, like, what, like, what better apocalypse than coronavirus, right? So, like, yeah. now I'm getting to test my theories um, in a different way. And it's just nothing like what I thought it would be. So that's also interesting. How are you,
0: how are you navigating the, navigating the coronavirus lifestyle? Like what, I know you just mentioned that you are local to Milwaukee. Like what else, what challenges does that bring?
1: Um, I think initially everyone was really worried about their networks drying up and their professional projects kind of um, disintegrating. And it was kind of a disappointing time, of course it was, in a terrifying time. Um, But like the industry was really uncertain and it kind of broke into two camps of people who wanted to take the space to make sure that they weren't the loudest in the room. And then the people in the industry who had brands and companies to kind of protect that kept barreling forward. and those kind of participating in that corporate landscape have like, unfortunately run into so many different issues because of the fact that brick and mortar retail, it was already disintegrating, um, you know, they just were out of touch with the social relationships that were more easily curated between direct to consumer brands and their following. And they were just becoming out of touch and so honestly like this has been a really important informative time for smaller scale labels who do have the shorter supply chains to be able to be continuing to create product and who really have the the strong enough platform to be able to be holding conversations and responding to what is happening culturally which is really important as well
0: covid kind of obviously screwed with everybody's lifestyle and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my biggest, and we'll transition a little bit here, but one of my biggest, um, he, I wouldn't call him a hero, um, just uh, ro- I guess role model. Sure. Uh, role models is just Staple, and he's of Staple Design, and he's in New York City, and he kind of went rogue, uh, when COVID hit, and the more like research I did into why he did, he kind of went rogue, and he started doing. He hosts a podcast as well called Business of Hype.
1: Yeah, for sure. And he
0: he he mentioned something um, about COVID that was interesting to me. He said that this is a time for people to kind of reflect and figure out what what they're truly passionate about. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, Jeff has kind of aligned with you because he also went to the he also went to Parsons um he wasn't strong enough as strong as you because he ended up dropping out because Parsons was full of something that I want to talk about which is rejection
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and it's something that you talk a lot about in interviews and everything like that um so do you want to chat on your experience at Parsons it's your dream school and everything like that but like it's not a whole bunch of people, like my college experience was a whole bunch of people saying, good job Izzy, good job Izzy, good job Izzy. And I'm glad that that's not the case at
1: Parsons, Right. Um, But it still is a little bit, like I was always kind of underwhelmed and critiqued by how soft the instructors were. Um, The thing is, is that I had kind of two cultural experiences at Parsons, I went to Parsons Paris for two years and then I did Mm -hmm. New York for two years. And in Paris, it was an energy that I really thrived on. The teachers would make you cry. Um, If your work wasn't good enough, you were going to hear all about it. And, like, I kind of thrive against adversity, so I loved that energy. Um, But Coming back to New York City, it was, like, a little bit more of a product. Like, at the end of the day, like, fashion school is... Um, It's a commercial business like they're trying to sell you a dream So nobody really wants to infringe too much on like breaking that spirit um, Because they're trying to sell you something so um, but I had a really great experience at Parsons like um, The resources were there if you were willing to look for them Um, the instruction was uh, very network and industry facing Um, In a weird way, like, they were very hyper-focused on um, social innovation and addressing contemporary cultural, political issues. So if that's not really part of your creative process, you might have not such a great time at Parsons. Um, But it's, it's one of those things where, to be honest, like, Parsons is just such an image, too. Um, That I'll be honest and say that like 75 to 80% of the alumni there are just, you know, on vacation in New York City, like, just there to geotag hashtag Parsons. Um, And they pull up and they're stylish and they've got like all of the designer clothes, but they have nothing to say creatively. They're just there because they love the, you know, the narrative. Um, so it, to be honest, it really was not that hard to stand apart from all of that, especially as somebody who is so craft-oriented. Um, and so I got a lot of focus and a lot of attention, and I was kind of curated to be best in class of my graduating year. Um, and so, yeah, I was my work was put forward and promoted in a different way. So I think that that contrib- kind of contributed to a lot of um, the traction and the momentum that I have now.
0: That's dope. I think you, you said you describe your style as an aggressively delicate aesthetic. For sure. And, um, I was reading that you, your mom is a ship captain mm-hmm. and you, you take, you take, um, inspiration from just the, the things around a ship. I'm guessing that wasn't well received when it first hit. Like, can you talk about just, how how that was received and maybe i'm wrong but how was that received for you and uh at least from collaborators and everything like
1: that for sure um i think it was pretty well received It didn't get as much press coverage as we were hoping for so i guess it was kind of a failure in that aspect um but yeah like so my mom was a ship captain and i was born and raised in milwaukee wisconsin and was just kind of her and i i was an only child and she was divorced So I kind of grew up along, um, you know, inside very heavy metal industrial landscapes like engine rooms and shipyards. Um, And my mom was a very strong um, antithesis of the feminine beauty that I had prioritized in my youth. Um, I always wanted her to be pretty or to be glamorous or to try harder. And so that collection was really a conversation between my younger self, who was fixated on beauty and delicate and kind of, um, you know, just traditional femininity, as we know it to be, versus like what I have learned to appreciate as feminine beauty today, which is a little bit more industrious and dexterous and aggressive almost. So it was kind of a culmination of those two observations. Um, And so the collection was made from all of the artifacts that made up her tactile reality. So repurposing ship sails, some of the steel that was integrated into that collection um, was extracted and scrapped from boats. Um, We used like repurposed ship line and cording and it was great i really enjoyed making it it was important the narrative felt urgent and it was something that i had been sitting on for a really long time that i really wanted to express so that collection is really important to me
0: that's awesome i I really i just checking out the the collection from a photo and anybody that's listening i would encourage you to because it's uh it was really dope like everything that i saw was was really really cool and it it hits on something else that you talk a lot about which is sustainability Mm -hmm. so so what does sustainability mean to you and what does it look like to you
1: yeah i mean sustainability it can be so many different things like the issue that i take with that word is that everybody applies it and uses it with their own definition in mind um but sustainability to me is just being transparent, ethical, being observant of, you know, restriction. Um, it it doesn't have to be crazy scientific or anything, but like the way that I appropriate sustainability is not necessarily to make sure that everything is like biodegradable within 10 years or you could throw, you know, that's not very interesting to me. Like for me, what I love is to work with um textiles that have kind of a past life or an artifact quality to them. Um, In my first collection I worked with a lot of repurposed military canvas. And what's amazing about repurposing and salvaging is that it kind of imbues the work with an energy of um, something that took place before or is relevant to the inspiration of what is what it is being reappropriated as um, so that's really exciting to me um yeah what was what was the second half of your question did, did that answer it
0: <laughs> no that answered okay it. So, cool expand on the military collection because i saw on tmj that yeah tmj that i was able to see the pieces um but for anybody who don't know who doesn't who hasn't researched that or anything like that do you want to expand on as to what that collection all entailed for you
1: for sure yeah so that was the collection where i was working on the world war ii controlled commodity industry and so the collection um, was constructed technically adhering to some of those industrial restrictions that took place during the time but it was visually informed by some of the imagery that i was kind of taking in from the war Um, so really a conversation between Um, construction and productivity and inventiveness, but also destruction and violence and, you know, how that relates to the body. So, another really amazing component to that collection, which I um, have obviously appropriated into what I do, was the um, Milwaukee metal and steel component. So, I kept seeing Milwaukee come up in this research. And it was, Milwaukee was known at the time of World War II as kind of the machine shop of the American Midwest in terms of the output that they were contributing in the steel and metal um, industry. So I knew that I wanted to come home and work with metal of some sort. So over Christmas break, I got to come back to Milwaukee and get into a metal shop. And we collaborated to create these amazing metal architectures that I then took back to New York City to appropriate using fashion. Um, And it was just such a cool opportunity to get to like revisit and recontextualize such an iconic regional craft of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, but also to get to really um, explore the artisanal practices that go along with it and to get to really implement like a community engagement aspect to the work. And so I think that all of those different points of value really turned it into a a way bigger thing than just fashion. Um, And so like at the end of the day, I create fashion for people who are super excited about the story and who want to be um, told something about themselves that they didn't know before they interacted with this item Um, or the person who just wants something pretty. So, the, at the end of the day, those are just two very important products or outcomes for me. Like, the visual component, but also the narrative. I
0: want to hit on um, story, because it seems like every collection and everything you do, there has to be a story and people forget about that. Um, so, how, how do you start to build a story uh, for your mm-hmm. collections? And, and I know it sounds like you do a ton of research. But what all goes into that for you? Yeah,
1: I mean, my process is very like academic and very linear. It's just what works for me. I used to be like an AP student, so like I craft a a fashion collection the same way that I would go about writing a um, research paper. So I kind of start with a thesis statement of what I want to explore that season. Um, maybe that's a word, maybe it's a feeling, or you know, whatever. And then I kind of go through and tease out the main paragraphs, the supporting details and kind of branch into different parallels that also inform the central narrative, but might take it in a unique direction. Um, And for me, like when I work with historic references, it's always important to be able to put a contemporary perspective on it and to have something tangible from the here and now. Otherwise it's just like historic fashion and like i'm not really a costume designer so i'm not interested in that um but yeah story is like it's the most essential thing and i think it's probably my favorite part of creating fashion and i say this a lot but i think the saddest part about fashion is that it's such a reductive process like you start with such an amazing like universe of references and stories and conversations and then slowly you have to filter that down into visual references and then from there, you kind of curate it onto a form. And then all of a sudden, it becomes a shirt. Um, and it's, it's really reductive. It's sad that like this beautiful process has to become such a finite thing. Um, but I've found that it is the most exciting way for me to get to be creative and be visual and work in a medium that I love, but also to get to tell people something exciting.
0: I love that. And it's very true. You hit on something. Uh, You said you were an AP student. Mm -hmm. You didn't really get into your upbringing in Milwaukee Yeah, everything like that. So do you want to talk about your childhood, like how you got into fashion, like how your upbringing was in the city, stuff like that? Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, I did have this very alternative childhood with my mom who worked this very non-traditional job. So that was something that was a huge influence on my life when I was younger. Um, but I have been like drawing and designing since I was like five or six years old. Since before I realized that fashion was actually an industry that I could partake in as employment. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was just always kind of fixated with like the female form and then placing shapes on that form in different ways. I was always drawing like my dolls and like my Barbies, etc. And... Um, there weren't very many opportunities for me to try and learn how to create fashion in Milwaukee, but I was very lucky to have a mom who was excited about my passion. And so she would try and find me little mentors here and there. And I would get to work um, sometimes with like little shops and boutiques after hours. They would come and, you know, let me work in the back and kind of oversee what I was um, making. Um, And I got a lot of attention in Milwaukee, not necessarily for being exceptional or for being good, but for my youth, which I think kind of um, led me to have like a a very sick psychological complex about success and youth, which I'm still trying to shake off. Um, But yeah, like I got a lot of attention in Milwaukee and it was a great place. Everyone was really excited to see um, youth and creativity. And I think that that was like kind of the initial spark that showed me that something was different here and that there was such a receptive captive audience that really wanted to see more. Exactly.
0: That's, there's something to say about this, this city and just like, uh, capturing someone that's doing some, is something very well. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're open to it i want to talk about that that success piece as as a youth yeah because it's something that i mean i'm not trying to compare you with a TikTok star right now no, sure but it's something that they're going to honestly hit there's they're gonna have to deal with at some point right so do you want to talk about that? And then also mental health through your entire For sure, journey. yeah. It's something that's, it's a very, you have to have a, a strong brain. So you want to chat on those?
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, um, I think the worst thing that you can tell somebody as a child is that they're gifted or that they're exceptional. Um, just speaking from the first person, um, yeah because I really really did develop this very toxic complex that I didn't confront until I was in college honestly and that I'm still honestly really trying to shake off but you know you you are told that you are going to be great you're going to do all of these amazing things by the time you're 18 oh my god you're going to be on project runway you're going to you're going to have your own fashion brand by 21 and like when you are being written about in such language you hold yourself to metrics and to um, you know goal posts of success that other people have set for you that don't necessarily have an, any sort of information on the way that the industry works so when i was starting to hit like 2021 20, 22 I was like, oh my god, like I haven't done any of the things that people told me that I was gonna do to be successful at this point in my life Um, I'm not where like I thought I was gonna be at age 16 when they told me I was gonna be a prodigy teen designer, right and That really started to weigh on me. I was like wow like I'm really not as exceptional as I thought that I was going to be right now and to learn how to strip away like the time based component of that and to to be able to remove yourself from like youth obsessed success culture it's really hard because there are no alternative narratives in culture today like i have i still feel like success won't taste as good unless i have my youth to go along with it and that's just like it's just ridiculous and i know it but like You can know something to be true and then feel differently about it. Um, But yeah, like, fashion in specific is just one of those places where you have to be a teenager. Like, the models are 15. The creative directors are, like, prodigy 20-year-old, you know. And it's hard. It's really hard. But um, it's all about embracing new perspectives and, you know, maybe... I don't know. I, I guess I'm still, like, deciding how I feel about that. Yeah. Um, I, think, mm-hmm.
0: I think what helped you and what's helping you every day is, like, especially with embracing new ideas and new anything is the upbringing in Milwaukee, right? As, yeah. As segregated as the city is, if you actually drive around the city, you realize how diverse the city is. Completely. And how many people of different races and different colors or anything and like that ages, it's, it's yeah. there it's it's truly i hate saying melting pot because they always teach you no, that I america's melting pot i hate <laughs> it but it's truly a melting pot and like um i i i didn't see it for the longest time so i went to cardinal stretch um just north of the city and um when i got here i was like oh okay this is just a, a white town like i didn't move to the city just to be surrounded by the same people I was surrounded by in the suburbs of Chicago, mm-hmm. um, and I decided I had a car. I didn't know anybody up here. I was like, I'm just gonna start driving around, and that's when, like, literally, like a month into moving up here, I realized how segregated the city was because I drove across the I think it's I 94. Dro- drove across that, started driving on the onto the north side. I'm like, okay, well, there's no one there. There's a whole bunch of African-American people here. That's mm-hmm. dope. Why don't I see them where I am? This is like 10 minutes away. And yeah. then I drove south, and I finally found Puerto Rican food. I was like, <laughs> finally? Gosh. But, like, there's there's a whole bunch of Hispanics. Mm-hmm. So I, I couldn't f- really figure that out. And um, obviously, once I started doing some more research, I realized how, like, honestly, the segregation and how that all works with everything. But... It goes to show you like where you come from really opens up your mind to um, new ideas and new thoughts and everything.
1: Yeah. And like part of the reason that I am excited to be able to produce work or to share work in Milwaukee is because there is so much room for improvement socially and politically in that sense. So to be able to use my platform to be able to empower the people that I believe in regardless of race, gender, sexual orientation, etc it's like, that's kind of a cliche in New York, but like, that's a real statement in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you know? Um, so that is really, that is so important and so special. So, I mean, like I did a show in, um, in fall of last year in Milwaukee and it was, I kept getting comments on how it was such a diverse show. And like, I didn't think it was, you know, particularly, like, you know, it's just, it's one of those things that people are like really still shocked that like, you have so many different colors and different like genders participating and it's just crazy to me so to get to you know bridge those kind of difficult conversations with people who are a little bit more conservative or a little bit less on the cultural edge through something so unintimidating as fashion is really potent actually
0: yeah let's talk about fashion a little bit Mm -hmm. like like the direction of fashion obviously is going to be changing with COVID, and you you mentioned the the brick and mortar versus directed consumer. What do you think is in the future of fashion? Like everybody's like in the last, obviously you know I'm into sneakers. Like in the last, like let's say three, four, even maybe five years, you're starting to see more sneakers on the runway and everything mm. like that. What's what's really in the the future in your eyes in fa- for fashion?
1: Um. I don't know. I think it would depend on like the realistic version or the optimistic version. I can I can only Give me, re- <laughs> Give me both. Um I think the realistic version is that well, you know, I'm not necessarily a scientist on the way that the fashion industry operates, so I guess it's going to be a little bit of both optimistic and realistic. But right now what I'm seeing is again a geographical decentralization of the fashion industry like New York, LA, Paris, they're always going to exist, they're always going to be the place that you need to go to receive your industry accreditation, Um, but you don't necessarily need to live there or contribute there every single day. There are different ways to participate in the global narrative thanks to the internet. Um, I think that e-commerce and direct-to-consumer are going to be kind of the fashion channels of the future. people are starting to become more and more comfortable with like receiving advertisement through influencers and celebrities online and they want to minimize the amount of friction that it takes place to see the celebrity they love in a garment and to be able to purchase it. So I think that that's going to be a huge thing of the future whether it's like Instagram shopping or you know embedded whatever codes and websites etc. But I think it's going to become more online, more sentient to social narrative, and I'm hoping that now that people have the ability to kind of um, background check and that there is such a strong, um, unfortunately, cancel culture, it's going to force some big brands to reevaluate the way that they kind of um, go about production. So. I'm hopefully starting to see a little bit more of a holistic fashion industry that is um, more self-aware than it was in the 90s, which is kind of what we're still trying to keep alive is, you know, that spirit of celebrity fashion designer excess, um, you know, just ostentatious presentations and, you know, just overproduction like that can't exist anymore. So, and it's not cool yeah. anymore.
0: Exactly. So that said, is there, what's in the future for you? What are you, what are you seeing? Obviously you're working on more collections here and everything like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But are you thinking about going straight to direct to consumer very soon? Um, What's in the
1: future? Yeah, so I'm kind of in the process, again, with this venture capital accelerator of starting to figure out like what my growth structure is going to look like over the course of the next couple of years Um, and trying to find different ways that I can integrate other things that I'm excited about within this fashion brand. So I mean, there's always going to be the front of house ready to wear seasonal collection and the celebrity commissions, which I also really enjoy. But I'm finding that I'm really interested in locating ways to connect um, you know, some of the local collaborators that I've been working with um, into kind of this network, this like, this ability to kind of serve as a pipeline between Milwaukee creatives and the New York runway, right? So I think that that, like, being able to lend my platform and my network and my social contacts to help empower creatives that I believe in and that also kind of fall within the curatorial um, brand universe that I'm trying to articulate is a cool opportunity. Like, I really enjoy doing that. So I think that there might be something there for us to develop and explore whether that turns into like a production agency of some sort or a hyper-curated manufacturing network. there's room for opportunity in terms of what that becomes as well.
0: Interesting. I think that's, that's super dope. Like we, we talk about it all the time. And even with our agency, when we were really, really growing, uh, most of the money, most of our revenue was coming from the New York, LA, Chicago's of the world, mm-hmm. uh, even Miami's. Um, and they were surprised to see the quality of work from a city like Milwaukee, right? And you still use the hashtag Milwaukee Creative on yeah. your Instagram, and you say, like, I think we're gonna close out the episode by talking about Milwaukee again. You say that I don't feel an obligation to represent my city. I want to. So there's gonna be people all over the nation listening to this episode, all over the world, really listening to this episode. Um, if you can give one piece of advice to someone listening to this episode, trying to get into fashion, what
1: Hmm. would that be? Um, Stop looking over someone else's shoulder. Stop trying to be somebody that you aren't to fit into the industry and embrace where you come from, embrace your identity in the most authentic and the loudest way possible. And people will take notice. Um, I think the reason that I've been so successful in the industry is because of the fact that I I don't care to participate in it. And my product is not for you, New York. You know, it's like, it's by us, for us. And we don't care whether you're looking or not. And actually, in that has turned into a very, like, potent strategy. Because, like, New York loves to not be invited to the party. And, you know, when you aren't focused on the industry, you're focused on the craft and the story and the community behind it, you're creating a zeitgeist. You're building a culture and, like, you're creating something authentic and really exciting that people are going to want to cover and be a part of so just be proud of that and embrace it and find what that thing is and why you can do it so much better than anybody else and just do it
0: i love that i love that um here's a question i asked this question to everybody on the the podcast Mm -hmm. when it's all said and done what impact do you want to leave on the world?
1: Um, that's a good question. I mean, I just want people to be sad when I die like everybody else, you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, really. to be able to leave stories that people identify with and to, like, leave a legacy of beauty and of significance and to um, get to empower other people to find their creative voice or to, you know, be able to um, turn what they love into something that sustains them in the way that I have. So, um, I don't know. I guess it's just more about people and relationships and stories at the end of the day. I love
0: that, love that. Where can, uh, Elena, where can people find out more about you? Where can they connect yeah. or follow or anything
1: like so that? So I'm on Instagram, um, underscore Elena E-L-E-N-A, V-E-L-E-Z. E-L-E-N-A-V-E-L-E-Z. And then just myname.com, of course. And if anybody has any inquiries or questions or wants to connect, just info at I always love to connect with people and share stories and um, be a resource. So
0: that's super dope. Well, thank you for jumping on this Strange On Purpose yeah, podcast. We're thanks for have to having do me. This after COVID, and you drop a collection.
1: Sweet, for sure. Let's do it. Thank you. Thank you.